welcome to Faith Foundations with Open the Word with Circle of Friends podcast. I'm your host, Gwen McCaslin, for this discipleship series. And I, I want to just tell you guys, if you want to reach out, um, I had a listener ask about Bible versions the other day, um, you know, which ones I would suggest and things like that. I love, I love hearing from you guys. Um, and so that makes my day. Um, and so uh, one of the things I told her is that I do have probably top three that I would recommend. Um, I do like the NASB. That's kind of my personal favorite, the New American Standard, um, because it is biblically world, word for word accurate to the Greek and the Hebrew. Um, but I also love a good study Bible because with a good study Bible, what you get is you can cross-reference or look at, at that verse in your margins, and it'll tell you if there's another word that's used in some of the others. And so it really is almost like you get the best of both worlds with a study Bible. Plus, you get something wonderful called cross-references, which if you want to know more about a certain word and they in that spot they give you some references, you can look up those other passages and see another passage where that verse is talked about or that topic. And so it's great for like those wonderful rabbit trails that your brain might want to do. And so it can really broaden your depth in the whole counsel of God's word and kind of understanding that one passage is not a standalone passage. When we interpret, we're interpreting that passage in the context that it has in the book, in the writer's life, because remember, um, that human writer, it shows up. They show up in their in their book and what they've written, but also in the Word of God as a whole. And so, um, in any case, the, you have to interpret Scripture and let other Scriptures interpret Scripture as well, because we look at the whole counsel of God's Word when we're studying and figuring out what's meant in certain passages. All right, that all said, I I would love to hear from you guys if you have questions or anything, but a couple of the other books that um, are versions that I would recommend, uh, the English Standard Version is exceptional. Um, You know, obviously there is a whole group of people that absolutely love the King James Version. And um, my thing for you is it is a quality version. So if you want to do King James, I bless you. Um, And so, you know, if you like the these and the thous, um, the one thing thing I will mention is that the King James Version is written at a 12th grade reading level. Um, like, for example, the NASB is about 10th grade. Um, the ESV is sitting about 9th or 10th grade, I think, as well. And then, like, the NIV. Uh, the NIV sits at about an 8th grade reading level. And the NIV is the new international version. Um, And it was created to um, be an easy English version for foreign countries or second language um, people to be able to read. And so the places where it would be grammatically a little bit trickier for somebody coming in reading English as a second language, they've kind of smoothed some of those passages. But understand that the meaning, you're you're completely fine to trust an, a new international version. Um, and so that's one of the reasons with the international is they dropped the reading level so that it was a bit easier for people in other countries. And so that was one of the things I kind of found in doing my research. Um, and so just bear that in mind with reading level, especially if you're picking for a young child because, you know, King James might be a bit beyond an eighth grader. Um, and so you might want to go for something a little bit um, written a little bit more to where they're at. The other thing 
you know, I'm going to go back to study Bible. Study Bibles are incredible, but they also have a lot of other variables. So I wanted to take a minute and kind of in podcast answer this again. There is a podcast all about all of this, um, probably about a year ago. Uh, and it's in that first series of introduction to the Bible. I did cover translations. And so you'll get a little bit more in depth than even what I'm doing right here. But they have archaeology Bibles that will give you a lot of the archaeological finds that back up the ver- the veracity, um, the truth of, of Scripture. Uh, and so there's a lot of different options. Um, and so look around and study and see what you can find. Precepts even puts out a Bible study of their own uh, that has all of their wonderful charts and, and things in them. Uh, for every single book, you can do kind of an at-a-glance chart. Um, anyway, so there's a lot of different options that you can do for this. So, it, you know, kind of look around and pick pick your, your Bible with care. So anyway, um, moving on to today, uh, I was wanting, I'm going to start John, but there are a couple of parables that have already always kind of stuck with me in the book of Luke that I didn't get to last week. Um, and so it is in Luke chapter 13, 15, sorry. Um, and it is the lost sheep, the lost coin and the prodigal son or the lost son. And the thing about all three of these, um, is they're put together in a chapter meticulously with care. Okay. Um, And so it's important to realize that these three stories are put together because they are teaching something similar. And so, you know, let's let's look at some of these. So in the, the parable of the lost sheep, we have the context. Now, all of the tax collectors and sinners were coming near him to listen. All right, so you can kind of, this is the scruffy crowd, right? Um, yeah, you can think through on your own what the modern equivalent, but this might have been like um, people that are rolling out on Sunday morning from the bar, you know, or something like that. This is, this is the rough crowd, okay, that both the Pharisees and the scribes would never want to be around. Like they, they separated themselves pretty hard from this crowd. Um, and we can see that in verse two, the, both the Pharisees and the scribes begin to grumble saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he tells them this parable. Okay. So you can kind of get the context for this parable and the ones that follow. What man among you, if he had a hundred sheep and lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who have no need of repentance. I would have loved to have been in that crowd at that moment because I would have loved to have known exactly how many righteous they thought they had in that crowd. Because if I had to guess, I would say that the Pharisees and the scribes surely put themselves in the righteous crowd. And so basically what Jesus is saying to them is something we've seen before. Um, The healthy do not need, do not need a doctor. It is the sick. Um, And so basically what Jesus is saying is, I guess, you know, you're trusting your own righteousness. You don't really need what I have to say. 
Um, and so there's that contrast going on here. All right, so that leads us into the next one. Um, or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house to search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, Rejoice with me, I have found the coin which I have lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Okay, I, I just have to tell you guys, I've had moments where we can't find something around the house and somebody will find it and all of us go, thank you, Jesus, and we're giving hoops and hollers um, because especially if it's something that's needed and important for us, right? Um, and so I don't know if you guys have had that experience, but we definitely, in my house, um, have had moments of rejoicing when something that was lost is now found. I, I can give you a ready example. Our um, we have two cats and the oldest one likes to go outside, but he comes home every night. Well, we had a snowstorm and he didn't come home for two days, two nights. And that's not like him. <laughs> I mean, it was so long that my kids are like, yeah, I think he's probably dead mom. <laughs> um, and so when that cat comes crying at the door, I had two kids that are mom, 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 he's back. He's back. <laughs> he got lots of snuggles that night. Anyway, um, moving on, the third story that is here, um, a lot of stuff's been done with a prodigal son. Um, and the interesting thing here is I want to point out in the two before that the person that's focused on is not the one that's lost. It's the one that's doing the seeking. And I think I want to focus on that and point that out so that when we get to the third story, we realize that the son is not the main character of the story. It is the father who's watching for his son to come home. Um, and so when we get to the third story, and Jesus said, a man has two sons. And so right away, we start with the, the main character, right? Uh, the younger of them says to his father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. Now, this would have been very much like um, telling your father, go ahead and die so that we can divvy up what you're going to leave us. Um, and so this son was the younger of the two. And so the older son would have gotten the double portion that belongs to the oldest. And so this would have been liquidating about a third of the father's assets and everything to give to the younger son. Um, and I, I mean, you guys can just think about that. If, if your children came to you and, and said, I want a third of everything now that I'm going to inherit upon your death, I want it now. And I'm out of here. Well, that's the equivalent of what this young son does to his father. Um, and so who knows what kind of financial trouble that would have even put the family in as far as the family farm and vineyard or whatever, you know, whatever family business maybe they had. Um, the son doesn't care. And so not many days later, the young man gathers up everything and he goes on a journey to a distant country. And there he squanders his estate with loose living. And now when he's spent everything, there's a severe famine that occurs in the country and he begins to be impoverished. So he goes and he hires himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sends him into his fields to feed swine. Now, according to the Talmud, which is kind of like um, uh, the commentary on the Old Testament, um, it was written by a whole bunch of Jewish rabbi to clarify 
um, what it meant by Old Testament. So it gives their interpretations of the Old Testament law. And so according to that, actually, to, you know, you weren't allowed to eat pig because that was one of the unclean animals. But they went so far as to say you wouldn't be able to be in the field and feed them. Like you shouldn't have them, shouldn't be raising them, nothing. Um, And so this is one of those examples of Jesus pulling out something um, that was a man-made addition to the Old Testament law. Um, And so he's kind of dipping his finger in there soup, if you know what I mean here, because remember who's watching. These are the Pharisees and the scribes are right there. Um, And so, you know, he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swines were eating. Okay, they would have been thoroughly disgusted at this point, and no one was giving him anything. But then he came to his senses, and that literally is truly what it means. Like, he just all of a sudden realized, like, wait a minute. Um, and he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm here dying with hunger? Like, what am I doing? Um, and so all of a sudden, you know, it just, he realizes that even being a servant in his dad's house is better than this. So I will get up and I'll go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he's got his speech already, if you guys haven't noticed. Um, and so he, he's he got a long journey. So he gets up and he comes to his father. And, and you know, you got to remember, this is a far off country. Um, yep, he got everything together. He went to a, on a journey to a distant country. So, I mean, you just, you got to remember, he's far from home. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Okay, now the thing about this greeting, okay, is that you would always kiss a, um, a guest, I, from what I've read. You would always kiss a guest in greeting uh, when they came to your house. Um, but this is over the top. Like, for the, the patriarch of the family to literally hike up his robe and run was just, that was undignified. I mean, it just, that was like the craziest thing that they could possibly imagine. Um, And then to do that with a son who's been feeding pigs in a foreign land, which took part, you know, one third of all of your wealth and just, just wasted it. And so that that whole scenario, and you have to wonder sometimes if maybe some of uh, the people listening to his story don't have something that echoes it in their own lives, you know? Like, you just have to wonder, because he's the God who sees. Um, and so he doesn't lose that quality as Jesus. Um, he can still see into the lives and the souls of people. So, and, you know, you just have to wonder, you know? But anyway, verse 21 says, And the son says to him, and he's got his speech ready, remember? Um, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father says to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. This, what I want you to understand about this, is this is a full-on bringing the son back into right relationship with the father right here. Um, This was a robe um, that a highly favored guest would have been given. Um, This is a ring that would have 
very clearly stated his sonship. Um, and then the sandals on his feet would have distinguished him even more as a son um, because, you know, servants may not have even had sandals. Um, and so, uh, yeah. And then to bring the fatted calf and kill it, let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead, but has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. I am going to suggest to you that verse 22 and 23 and 24 completely mirror Ephesians chapter 2 where we were dead in our transgressions and sins but have been made alive in Jesus Um, that that is the salvation of the son um, of bringing him back into the kingdom um, or into the family Uh, and so now you have 25 you have the older son who's out in a field um And he came and approached the house, and he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants, and he starts inquiring what's going on. Um, You would have had feasting and dancing at weddings. You would have had him, you know, at at kind of pretty pivotal moments, okay? And it's not one of those moments. And so he's going, what is going on in the house? Um, And the servant says to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But the brother became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered and he said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. And I am going to take this little section and I'm going to tell you that it parallels the Pharisees and the Sadducees watching these entire parables being laid out because they very much are the older brother who would look at him and say, well, I've been faithful. I've been studying the Old Testament prophets. And um, and so they would have very much been able to understand, well, we've got this down. And so this very much. But you feel the Father's heart, don't you? Beckoning them to come and join the celebration. To come and join. That's basically what Jesus is saying, is open your eyes and see what's in front of you. You're being invited to the kingdom. And so all three of these are about basically sinners who are lost and are found, um, who come home and are celebrated. And so, um, yeah, you can see the jealousy of the older son here in verse 30. And when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, was lost and has been found. There, I want to point out that the younger son's portion was still gone. And so those consequences don't go away. Um, and so, you know, he would have been, he would have been without an inheritance, um, according to Jewish tradition here, but he was given full rights of sonship. Um, and so there's something beautiful in that, that he is restored by all rights in that way. And so probably anything that would have been earned beyond the point of when he left would have been still divided, maybe a third. So there might have been stuff eventually left um, to him. But I don't think the consequences of him walking away were probably erased. Anyway, these, as you can tell, are some of my favorite passages 
So I'm thinking I got about five minutes. So what if I share another passage that I really enjoy out of the book of Luke? And then next time we'll go on and we'll do John um, because it's not really five minutes. It's not enough to do justice to introing John. All right, um, because John is the writer of several books in the New Testament, and I want to talk about all of that. So let's stay here, and um, let's go to chapter 16, and let's talk about the rich man and Lazarus because it's a fascinating story. And again, we have the Pharisees. Um, Verse 14 says that now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all of these and were scoffing at him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached. Everyone is forcing his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. What I want you to hear is right there, Jesus has one thing. He's affirmed the authority of the word of God all the way down to the stroke of a letter. Okay. Um, and so I want you to understand like that little piece right in there. But this also gives you the hearts of the Pharisees. You know, they've just listened to the three parables about things that are lost, that are found by the Father. Um, You know, they've just listened to the lost son with the older angry brother. Um, And so they've just listened to that. And so, you know, he just, their hearts. And, And the thing that Jesus has against them the most is that they're using the law and the Talmud and those kinds of things to justify their sin to explain it away, to minimize it, and to make it okay. And actually to make it something that they should be praised for. And so that absolutely detests Jesus. And so, and the heart of the Father. And so, you know, Jesus, a lot of times will even look at them and call them things like brood of vipers and other things. And and truly to see their hearts, you know, they're plotting to kill Jesus for most of the gospel accounts. Um, and so you can see them just trying to set him up constantly. They have all of these like lawyers they send at him. They have all of their smartest, best, and brightest that they send at him to argue with him, to set him up. And so you have all of that going on. Um, but this is just a beautiful picture of just exactly Jesus and, and his replies to them. All right, so moving on to verse 19 in chapter 16. We have the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Now there was a rich man. He habitually dressed in purple, fine linen, and joyously living the splendor every day. Um, And I would have loved to have seen the room (laughs) at that moment. I wonder how many of these Pharisees were dressed in purple and in their best gowns and finest linen. Um, But a poor man named Lazarus was at his gate covered in sores. And longing to be fed with just the crumbs that were falling from the rich man's table. Beside, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now, dogs are not the puppy dogs we have today. They would have been looking for food and scrounging. And so, honestly, they may have even been trying to bite him and attack him. Um, And so, they're not like puppy dogs coming in. Oh, isn't that cute? You licked him. No, that's not what this is kind of referring to. Typically, people did not make pets of dogs back in that day. 
they were kind of chased out of places as it was. Okay, so there comes a day in 22. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifts up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. Verse 24, and he cried out and said, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you receive good things. Likewise, Lazarus bad things. Now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this between us, And you, there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who come over, who wish to come over from here to you, will not be able to, and none, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Verse 30, but he said, no, Father Abraham, but if somebody goes to them from the dead, they will repent. In verse 31, but he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. I hope you guys get goosebumps like I do because this is Jesus talking right in front of Pharisees and he's eventually going to rise from the dead. Um, And so he's almost foreshadowing what's going to happen, that they are the brothers that are literally going to have right in front of them a resurrected Jesus and they, they aren't going to listen to the law and the prophets. Um, and so, but I want to back up and kind of explain a little bit, um, because this is one passage that is often looked at to kind of explain, um, to explain Hades. Um, and I'm going to differentiate a little bit because there are two words in scripture for hell that we can commonly call hell as a Christian. Um, and one is Hades and one is Gehenna. Uh, Gehenna is the eternal lake of fire that will be the end resting point for um, Satan and his angels and everyone who is not chosen um, to follow after Christ and, and chosen his, his sacrificial death in our place. And so this right here um, is... This is Hades, okay? This is what they call Hades. And um, from what this passage describes, there was a part that was Abraham's bosom, and then there is a part of torment with flame um, and thirst and darkness, okay? And between the two, there's a great gulf fixed, okay? So one of the things we know that is with when Jesus died, he descends it into hell. That's a scriptural passage. And so putting a couple of things together, um, there are some theologians that truly believe that Jesus goes down and presents himself to Abraham's bosom, cleans him out, takes him to heaven. Because, okay, in Hebrews chapter 11, we get this faith chapter that talks about how um, people like Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so kind of the running understanding with all of that is that Old Testament before Christ, there are people who by faith are looking forward to 
the redemption that Jesus would do on the cross, where he becomes that lamb who dies once for all to take away the sin of the world. Okay, and so their belief is is um, credited to them as righteousness. So it would kind of be like a bank loan for a home. Um, that money is given to them in advance. Um, and so it's kind of that idea. That might be a horrible idea, but example. But it's the idea that they get the benefits of Christ's death in advance because of their faithfulness to the Old Testament covenant. Okay, and so when Jesus goes down and presents himself, he is presenting himself as the lamb who was slain. Um, and so after that point, all of, there's just one spot, and everybody goes straight to be with the Lord. So that's kind of the common belief about Hades, so to speak. Um, and Hades, everybody will be resurrected eventually out of Hades, um, some to life and some to eternal death. Um, because remember, at the great throne judgment, there is a resurrection for all people who have died. Um, so in any case, uh, yeah, so, and I'm probably doing a muddy job of explaining all that, and I will eventually clarify some of that, um, especially when we get to the book of Revelation, because um, we will talk about the first resurrection and the second one. Okay, so that all said, I just want you to understand that this is one of the passages we look at and kind of piece together some things, but we honestly, we're not 100% sure, because after all, this is kind of, um, put down as a parable. Um, and, and you know, we weren't there, so we don't know exactly how real to life all of, of, of God's parables are, all of Jesus's parables. Um, we don't know if some of them are pictures or if they're real life people that the crowds would have known. Uh, we don't know that because that's a piece of the context we're missing. So we've got stuff that we can definitely check out when we get to heaven, don't we? Anyway, that has been a bunch of just little tidbits out of the book of Luke, and there are more because Luke goes on for quite a while. Um, and so you've got the story of Zacche Zacchaeus in here, but most of you guys remember that. Um, and so, you know, there's just lots of little things. Um, and so I would encourage you, you know, take one of these gospels and just camp. Camp a while in some of the stories, but recognize that they're put in order, and they're chosen for a specific purpose. And so always keep in mind the author's purpose when you're reading in a book like the Gospels um, because they are written to a very clear audience. Um, and the one thing to remember about Luke is he's a physician, and he um, is probably, uh, they believe he's probably like a Greek and not of the Jewish nation. And so he has profound compassion because of his profession, but he has a heart for the outsider. Um, and so I don't know where you're at, but this might be a perfect book for you if you're feeling like an outsider, um, because it's going to tell you all about Jesus's compassion. Um, anyway, that's all I got for today. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd love to hear from you, so find us on Facebook and Instagram at Open the Word Podcast or send us an email to openthewordpodcast at gmail.com. 
is it time for you to plan a day trip with your peeps? Come and stay a while at Shia Market in Berlin. There is something for everyone, no matter what your taste or style may be. Visit the Village Gift Barn for your custom floral arrangements and timeless accessories for your home. Stroll upstairs to Shia's Style Boutique for your perfect outfit, everything from accessories to shoes. Be inspired at country gatherings with decor from Modern Farmhouse to transitional design. Then meander through the gardens for a large selection of houseplants. And last but not least, order your perfect cup of brew at the Buggy Brew Coffee Company. End your day by gathering to relax in our courtyard. You will leave feeling connected and refreshed.